You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Some of My Best Friends are Kabbalists. I'm here with Rav Nosanota Glick. I'm Avram Kivalevich and Rav Nosanota Glick in Ashkelon in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKadosh. And um, we've had uh, some nice uh, feedback in terms of our talks that we've had here about the world of Said, Chochmas Anistel. But um, I think that those comments have been laced with an element of perplexity because we sort of just jumped in, Rav Nosen, and, you know, uh, we're sort of like, I don't know if we were name dropping, but we spoke with, uh, in our conversation, even though we knew it would going to be, it would be listened to with the assumption that there was a certain amount of literacy and understanding of terms and ideas to the point that we were sort of like splitting and discussing various strands of interpretation. So maybe it's, uh, on our third episode here. Maybe we should take a step back and I'll allow you to sort of give us a, a broader intro into some of the things that, you know, to maybe make more understandable some of the uh, concepts to come and maybe clarify some of the things we've talked about in the past. Um, let me, you know, just to get the ball rolling. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about the difference between Kabbalah's Hazoar and what the state of Kabbalah was before the Zohar. And, and I mentioned the term uh, called Merkava mysticism, and uh, which harkens to um, uh, biurim and a deeper understanding, if possible, <laughs> of the Mara Vichesko of Maisa Merkava. And we know that the Gemara Chagiga uh, discusses these two poles of learning. Maisa Merkava, Maisa Beratius. Um, let's start from there, since that seems to be sort of proto before anything that we had been talking about. So, why don't you uh, um, get on your, you know, get, get your Kabbalistic mm-hmm. pipe ready and uh, start smoking. Oh, what do you suggest should go in the pipe, though? No, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm... I like to take care of old business. So since we ended off the last discussion talking about the, uh, let's say, the standard Kabbalah of the base Medrash of the Ramban had 10 spheros, and it turns out, according to the Ari, that the Kabbalah of the Zoyer is based upon a different um, system of, of five parts Sufim. Um, each one contains 10 spheros. And um, I just want to say something which I, I think is worthwhile, and that is that it's pretty clear that both shitos are very, very old. At least it's clear to me. And you can you can see this by the inning of uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim, you know, where if you go to the Mishnah and Meseches Avos, it's it's Asara um, Eser Makos um, in Mitzrayim and Eser Makos Al Hayom. So the number by the, the uh, Makas and the C is the same number. Okay? And, you know, so 10 is the standard number of, of, of reality. So there's basically one basic reality that you, that you get to work with, and, and uh, you can work it this way, you can work it that way. It's all in the hands of the of the Elikim, uh, that operates in in this world how the how the Midas are going to be are going to interface. But then, if you go to the Haggadah, the Haggadah is based very much on the number five. I mean, you see you see that when the Haggadah goes into the when it goes into the description of the Makis themselves, it doesn't. Um, it's it starts out with a with a quite a different story. You know, um, how does it how does it go? It goes. Right? By the way, those are five those are five aspects, not ten. 
then it goes on from there to say, you know, so you get to the number 10 anyway. And then it goes to tell you the, the, the 10 makas. But apparently the major component of the, of the Haggadah's thought is that it's not really 10, it's really five. You know, it's really, it's really pestilence, plague, gilushchina, the uh, Moshe's uh, staff, and blood. And those are the five major symbols over here that need to be, you know, that need to be understood. From that, the ten makis become, uh, you know, devolve. Okay? And this is emphasized even more when you get to the end of the Haggad, where you have all these, this, this three-way machlekes about how many makis there were in, in Mitzrayim and how many on the sea. So you have one sheet that has that there were ten, you know, kamalaku be'etzba eser makis. So that's already fifty plagues on fifty plagues on the sea. So that's also a correspondence of you know five partsufim, ten spheres, ten spheres each. And Rabbi Akiva goes even further. Rabbi Akiva claims that all the makas that happened in Egypt are really fifty. It's not really ten makas. It's really fifty makas. There's really five partsufim operating in operating in, in Mitzrayim also, and then by the time you get to the by the time you get to the ocean, you realize that all of the five partsufim that you experienced are only nefesh, you know, it's only like the lowest level of the of of the partsuf. You're still in one partsuf with all the five together because there's nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, yechida. There's five levels of neshama, so each partsuf contains the same component of five in it. But the real system is masayim chamishimakis, but which they which they reveal to which they get revealed at the at the yam, right? So I don't know what anybody else thinks, but if you if you ask me, this is a pretty strong indication that the the dynamics of of ten versus five or ten versus fifty. Or, or you know, ten ten spheres versus five partsufim is a is a, a old 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 machlekes amongst uh, amongst the uh, amongst, well, I, I definitely amongst uh, Chazal. No, I appreciate the uh, uh, the the sensitivity and the understanding. I think that um, if I would add, since if we are doing a more um, you know, let's explain what we just said. Show. Um, I, I think what needs to be explained, said is that the uh, unleashing of the Makos is a way of God sort of uh, doubling or recreating creation, right? The Makos, in a way, are an indicator of God's identity, of God's creative power. So therefore, those numbers aren't just about what happened in Mitzrayim, but they are really indicators for us, since we weren't there at the moment of creation, for how we can still comprehend God, right? So in other words, what God does in in, in bringing us out of Mitzrayim through these wonders and miracles is really a way of revealing himself and giving humanity an understanding of what creation is. So therefore, if you are going to divide it into five, so that tells you that God reveals himself in these five aspects. I know what I said is very simple, but just so people should realize that we, uh, the Jews, and the rest of humanity need to look at those seminal events that occurred within those that year and a half or whatever it was of the Jews extric- being extricated from Mitzrayim as not just the great event of our freedom, but also the event that put God on the map. Um, and we will always hearken back to that in terms of any further understanding of who the Godhead or what, who, how God works in the world, just to right. clarify. And therefore, it's five. Well said. What, what, what well I would said. also just add, because I can't resist, is that most people, you know, uh, Rav Nelson, I almost said Nate, you'll be Mayuchami. Most people um uh look at the uh Haggadah Pesach as a four aspect, right? That is the you know, most people when they analyze this this great book that every Jew somehow has many copies of and 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 knows almost in his bones, most people would say, Oh, how come there's always these fours? Um, you know, everything seems to be, uh, you know, uh, whether it's four cups or four sons, um, 
and I think that you know by you indicating this fifth aspect, I think that is that's sort of this uh, uh, motif that uh, is underneath that. I think you you know we do pour a fifth cup as well, right? There right. is that there is that fifth cup, and in a way, although there are four sons. There's also a dad. You know what I'm saying? There's also the, the, the fifth is the, is the person, mom or dad who's interacting. So I, I'm just trying to, you know, people are going to say, Oh, the, the theme of the Haggadah is five. Isn't it four? Well, yes and no. There's, there's four, but there's, the four implies the fifth. And just to make it very, very simple, even, you know, the, the Yershalmi, uh, quoted by uh, um, the Rashi and the Rashbam in the beginning of the uh, of Arve Psochim, who mentioned that the four cups are connected the Dalad Lushonos of Geula. Anyone who actually refers to that section of the Torah will see that there's actually five expressions of redemption, and one of them is sort of the Hevesi is somehow left out hovering over everything. So once again, you know, you, you go back to the processes. The processes right. that God invoked are four that we can be toface, the Dawid Lomos, and then there's a fifth aspect, right, which is somehow not necessarily um, processed cognitively and, and, and any more, uh, co- more co- in a concrete way. And I would say that is atzilus priya yitzira asira, but then you have that fifth aspect, which is, you know, the oilum hakesser, whatever you want to call it. So I, I do, I do agree with you that that five it isn't just the Arizal who said, "Hey, I discovered five. Five has been, you know, it, it had been around for for a while." But go these ahead. These what... things, these these things go back. Uh, I and I, I think you, I think you expressed it very well. I might, I might just add a little bit. That, you know, if not for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, for all intents and purposes, the world would be uncreated. Because, I mean, and this is, this comes out in all of the classical, classical Mepharshim, that the Egyptians believed in a steady state universe, much like, much like Aristotle, they believed in Kadmus Oilam. And because the Oilam was, in their minds, eternal and therefore fundamentally unchangeable, therefore, you know, Ilula, if Hashem hadn't taken us out of Mitzrayim, at that particular point, we would still be there because in a steady state universe, nothing really, nothing really changes. Right. Uh, if you introduce, if you introduce a created universe and the, and the Ramba makes the same point in Moir Nebuchim, even though he's not a Makubal, that, uh, that you have, you have the entrance of the miraculous somehow into the, into the system and a created universe is a universe that allows for a greater element of, of change, growth, development, and, and, and evolution. Yeah, what's Which is why he thinks creation is such is such a is such a yisoid in in uh, in Yiddishkeit. So yeah, um, just to, just to respond to that, you know, it's interesting. Rav Kook Zatzal, of course, <clears throat> said that as well about Ilu Oitzena Kodesh Baruch Mitzrayim that we would be Mishubadim Leparav Mitzrayim. I saw him. Um, you should get a hold of this Haggadah. It was done by um, by Jordan Garfunkel. Uh, Jordan Garfinkel was the illustrate the the um, I think it's called the graphic novel uh, illustrated Haggadah, and uh, he has this imagery in that classic statement. Again, just to our listeners to know what we're talking about, you know, it says that had God not done this, we would still be enslaved to Paro and Mitzrayim, right? We would still, and he has this sort of um, modern image of a bunch of uh, wage slaves. In a huge office building, but they're but they are being overseen by, um, you know, this uh, clearly uh, Mitzri sort of uh, individuals wearing the Mitzri headset, the Mitzri headdress, but with all these computer monitors monitoring them. So, uh, you know, dealing with this problem, we would have actually been out there in our loincloths and you know, and getting you know, waiting for Charlton Heston. Is that the way? Uh, we would have looked. I mean, so Rav Cook, of course, says yes, because uh, there would not have been this dynamic battery of of creativity. Basically, you would have had a a a, uh, a society 
that did not have ideas of of advancement in terms of mechanical objects and uh, uh, creativity in terms of saving labor, and you would not even you wouldn't have had a more developed sense of humanity and how they should be treated. All of those things are all part of uh, of, of the creative power of God working through us. Um, so, but what I, you know, what I would just add to that is that at even at that level, though, there was an advancement. There was an idea of using basic tools. There was an idea of man figuring problems out. There was an idea of how much straw you need in order to take the amount of bricks. So, as much as we say the insertion of God and the insertion of the wisdom of God, the insertion of us bearing that wisdom. It wasn't like they would have been, you know, the, the image of the caveman who is just, you know, he has his bone, you know, and he's banging on, you know, on, 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 you know, on the food or, you know, or taking his wife by the, uh, by the head and dragging her into the cave. There's a certain level of what it was that we would have had even without that, even, even without his gallus of God in this world. There's a certain medium, right? There's a certain modicum, I would say, of development, right? It's not, right? And, and that's sort of like, in a way, an under, like, like an undercarriage of, of what humanity could be uh, and what humanity would be without God's involvement, which I think is also interesting. I think it might, uh, again, using my, I'm totally butchering what I said I was going to do, what we were going to do, we were going to stick to basics. But to me, that undercarriage is sort of like the Oilamatohu. You know what I'm saying? That that would have been ah. there. In other words, that would have been there anyway. So those, the seeds of class differentiation, uh, the ideas of basic mathematical understanding of how many slaves we need to build a certain uh, building, uh, even various uh, geometric figures all that is something that you know god sort of is expects man to get to in some way without revealing himself but uh it's from that point on that we start saying what is it that the wisdom of god the hisgalus maimonar sinai all the things that we say about god entering into the world and we as his agents affecting that's sort of where that's the point to start from and you know which I think is, uh, you know, which I think sort of Harker. So let's, let's, anyway, that's just, I'm just throwing that in. Why don't you, so let's talk about Merkava now and okay, Mice let's, let's talk about Merkava and Mice Um Well, you don't let's, have to. let's, you yeah, don't no, have let's, to. we have to, we have, we have to start with Merkava because we're supposed to go back to, we're supposed to go back to basics today so that all the people who don't have a, a strong background in these things will um, get some basic terminology. Okay. Now, I think uh, I, I mentioned in, in one of the previous sessions that, uh, that um, what, we, what we know as Kabbalah is probably not either my Simarkova or my Sibiratius. Um And uh, the, there's... Um, question from the Marshal at the beginning of Masechus, uh, at the beginning of um, what is it, the the second Perik over there, Perik Ein Darshan in, in Chagiga mm-hmm. and where he where he asks uh, you know, so listen you're not allowed to learn Maeser you're not allowed to learn Maeser Berkov, you're not allowed to teach it right, so so what is this Kabbalah that everybody's learning learning and teaching I mean, if, it, if it's Maeser Berkov and Maeser Merkov, you're supposed to shut up about it, and if it's not, what is it and who says it's any good and the um, there's um, Rabbi Tzvi Ali Melech Medina of the Baal Bnei Yisachar. So he he responds to it and he says that uh, actually what Kabbalah is is the keys for understanding the meaning of the Agadat and Shas. Okay, so that in fact what you're learning when you learn Kabbalah is you're learning Agadat, regular Shas Agadat like anybody else, but you're learning it with that with the with the from the perspective of the of the keys you need to unlock the information. So, so that's that's the Bnei Yisachar's uh, chiddush, and, and he, he writes this in a 
in his, let's say, comments to... Surme Rav Asetov. Surme Rav Asetov, right, that's it. Right, that's, that's on it, the Zidit Which was, which was the Zidit It's Biorim on the Zidit uh, 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 manifesto of what learning, his manifesto of how we should learn Kabbalah and what it's all about. Yeah, right. he he was sort of obsessive in his notes. He was the most <laughs> obsessive, you know. He he also wrote uh, Biurim to Chassid uh, Yaivitz, you know, the Chassid Yaivitz or Hashem, the um, late Middle uh-huh. Age uh, uh, anti-philosopher philosopher. So Ritzvi Eli Melech decided to write. Um, um, you know, he, very, yeah. you know, he also he, he also he also tried to tackle the Megala Amukas, you know, which. Yeah. Which yeah. uh, he he managed to get to, I think, Parshas Bracious and Noyach uh, from from on those drushes. But anyway, so so I'm not going to make any claims about you know Maisa Bracious, Maisa Merkava. I am I am going to say that that you need to go back to the Merkava in order to in order to uh, get the basic terminology of Kabbalah. Okay, so and would, of course, and of course, the Merkava. Just again for for our listeners, and we hope there are many. <laughs> um, who haven't tuned out yet already. But, of course, we're talking about uh, the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel, of Yechezkel's um, description of the great chariot that uh, he right. that, that was given to him in a vision. Right. So I just want to re- reassure everybody, this is not my Simmerkov of what I'm going to say. Okay. This is something that is fundamentally permissible to, to learn and teach, or at least according to the this is going to the Bnei Yisazhar. Right. So, first point. Right? There was some kind of a thing called a chazon nevoah, a prophetic vision. And it's a little bit hard to understand what a prophetic vision actually is unless you've had one, and none of us have had any. At least, you know, at least not recently. So you don't know whether if a Navi tells us that I saw a being with six wings and it came and it flew over to me. What is that? Is that like, did he have some sort of vision of a tangible entity with six wings flying? Or did he have some sort of intellectual apprehension of something which is impossible to describe, but he describes it as being a man-like being with six wings, even though it doesn't look like anything at all. And by the way, my, my inclination is to understand the second, uh, the, the second version of what a Chazon Nevui is. A Chazon Nevui is fundamentally not a materialistic kind of seeing. If it is, it's because the human imagination adds components that help the that, that help the vision communicate to you. Or, you know, this the Rambam says, of course, explicitly also. Um, but, um, you know, so you can't exactly say what the content, like if you imagine, or if you want to take a, if you want to take a sketchbook, you want to sketch out the, the Merkava thing, okay, it, that's not what it was, and you know, so it certainly wasn't aliens appearing and or any any other sort of Nairishkeit. It, okay, it's a very it's a very rarefied and very abstract kind of comprehension, and it's called seeing. Okay, but it's not visually the same kind of thing that we would we would usually consider to be uh, um, a picture of something. Now, but insofar as the insofar as the Nevi'im left us. To, descriptions of this, and the second point is that as far as Chazal are concerned, and this is also Pshat, all Nevi'im saw the same thing. A person who was a Navi had a vision of the of the Merkava. Why is the Yechezkel the first one who spells it all out? Like what, Yeshayahu didn't have it? Like, like you know, Chalamun Chazal said, right? Every, every, you know, every I don't know, every every well, what's the word? Every housekeeper present at at uh, at uh, Kriyas Yamsuf had had that vision too, okay? Because it's so it's because it's it's like the alphabet. It's the ABC of of becoming a navi. It's an initiation process. Okay, Bnei Yisrael by at Mamad Har Sinai had it also, even though the only thing that's described is Tachas Raglov Kamasel Livna Sasapir. Okay, but that doesn't mean that the whole thing wasn't there. And Chazal say the reason why Yechezkel, you know, got into such detail was because you have to imagine that he wasn't, you know, if you uh, 
a country bumpkin comes into the, you know, comes into the capital and he sees a royal procession. So he starts, wow, the horses, you know, and each horse has a silver this and each horse has a this and has a plume of feathers on its head. And, and then comes the carriage. And so he's going into all these descriptions, but somebody who lives in the capital who is more used to all of this uh, presentation, he doesn't bother going into all the little details. He just says, oh, you know, I saw the king today and, and uh, you know, he had a big chair and he went on a wagon. Okay, so whether you say it in a general sort of uh, overall uh, perception or whether you go down to the nitty-gritty details primarily depends on how sophisticated a Navi you are. So this is something that actually comes out to be something of a something of a of a um, dig on Yechesko. Diminution of the of, right, a, a diminution. Right. Yes, he's called the Ben Kvar. Compared to Yeshayahu, right. compared to who's called who is a called ben, ben, ben Krach, who is some or, or Ben, ben Krach, Krach, somebody who is, right. is is used to it. However, right. we I guess we of course uh, the Hashgacha uh, determined, and of course God wanted this Navua to be written because we needed it, right? We needed to have the bumpkins description because otherwise otherwise, yeah, otherwise we would have we no have. entry into into this world at all so let's so i'm going to talk very briefly about what the what the merkava comprises the merkava comprises four parts part number one are the wheels so there are four wheels which are somewhat probably more like spheres you know because the wheels can turn in all sorts of different directions simultaneously but there are four wheels on the bottom then on top of the wheels you have something that is, are described as as chayot, they're living beings. Okay, those are the, they have they have six wings, they have four faces, so forth and so on. I've always kind of thought thought of them as like shock absorbers because they seem to be somehow connected to the wheels. Above the chayot, chayot is a blue floor, of, you know, made of some sort of luminous stone, and on top of that is a throne. So those are those are your th- those are your three levels, you know, your oifanim, your chayes, and your kisei. And then here's the surprising part: there is a demus kemare odom. There's some sort of figure of a human being who is sitting in the chair. And so we have so we have already this four you know this four level um, description. Of what's going on, so it's pretty straightforward that the the circles, the wheels at the bottom of the of the uh, Merkava actually stand for our cosmos. Our cosmos is mostly made up of circles. If it's circles of time or or or, uh, or circles of planets, uh, even even the even the medievals, you know, they they thought the universe was full of was full of you know of spheres within spheres within spheres. Um, in some in some commentaries, the the four spheres on the ground, which are full of eyes, is another way of saying that uh, that it, this shows this represents the visible universe. Okay, so it's full of eyes because the universe here is visible. You can you can see it. And the minute you get up above the level of the oifanim, you know, then you're already breaching into the visible to the invisible universe. Okay, so there's an invisible universe. You figure. It's very lively over there, right? Because they're because they're because they're called chayes. If you move up beyond that, you have stability. Things are very stable because it's a kisei. It's a kisei, You know, it's a it's a it's a royal throne. So it's it's a model of of stability and and power, right? And then you have the the image sitting in the in the kisei, which we're going to leave blank. We don't know what that is for the time being. Okay, but. We can say a bit about the about the other about the other levels, which is very important because the the whole idea of the vision is to see how these levels are inter interrelated with each other. So, the Galgalim we already said is kind of like Olam Hazeh, which is a world of circles. The most important circle in Olam Hazeh is the circle of becoming and fading away. You know, coming into existence, existing, and then you know then. Leaving existence, even though the is, term, even though the term is ofan, right? That they call it, or is it, is it, is right? The term in the in the pasuk is ofan or galgal. It's ofan, isn't it? Ofan, ofan, right? Which is ofan. interesting. Which is interesting. Well, in I mean, terms it's, of, it's Tanakh. It's Tanakh Hebrew as opposed to as opposed to later Chazal Hebrew, you know, or maybe even philosophical Hebrew, depending on when you know, because the 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 galgalim 
as it as it comes out down in Rambam Hilchis Sodiatira is essentially this, described the by the Greeks. The planets. Right, that's part of right. That's part of the that's part of the uh, Ptolemaic uh, picture of the universe, where you have planet Earth, which is uh, uh, the world of coming into existence and going out of existence, which has Arbiusitis. Above that, you have a fifth element, which is which is uh, unchangeable and incorruptible, and and but the fifth element is is fit into spheres within spheres within spheres within spheres. Yeah, like I, 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 I'm, I'm just shooting balls, for something. And they're all revolving and spinning around. Right. right. So I'm just shooting for something very yes. simple in terms of the fact that Ophan is about like the word pone, which is to turn in a certain direction, to turn to a certain point. Now, when you ah. have the idea, Galgal is almost like, you know, as, as, you know, as John Wayne said in The Searchers, it's like the turning of the earth that's going to happen. You almost have this sense of, 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 of complete repetition. What you have is this thing is turning and it's going to turn and it's going to come back exactly where it was before. Whereas the idea of an Ophan is really centering in on the interesting movements, the, the, you're being pone towards this direction, that direction. Yes, it is. In a sense, it is allowing you to move through things, but it's actually in a way, uh, a more um, uh, dynamic way to describe things as opposed to the stasis of Galgal. So I, I think there is something about about Ophan that says, hmm, now That's turn this way, turn that way. Oh, it's moving. So anyway, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm saying it. That is the shot in the Pasuk, the, you know, because because the the wonderful thing or the mysterious thing about these these uh Ophanim is that they're not typical wheels. A typical wheel has to go either one way, and then if it's going to go in a different direction, it has to turn. But the Ophanim being wheels within wheels, like maybe a double wheel or a, or something more spherical, can go anywhere the ruach wants it to go. But the ruach is the the ruach initially is in is in, in is in the chayis, is in the chayot. And so I'm just going to cut to the chase and get get right to the bottom of it. The the idea is that there there are three universes. Philosophers are quite familiar with them. The first universe is the universe of of this world, the material universe, which comes into being, where things come into being and fade out of being. Then you have the higher universe is the universe of emotion, of feeling, and that is transitional between this world and the world of true ideas, foundational principles axioms and, and and abstract thought so that the three levels of the of the merkava refer to those three those three uh concepts and the idea is ultimately that we have feelings and this goes contrary to all of uh, all of the current scientific you know paradigms that they have it's completely anti-materialist but we have a material body and a nefesh we have a vital spirit of some kind or another because we get it from the world of the Ophanim. We have feelings because part of us lives in the world of the Chayot. And we have ideas because part of us lives in the world of the Kisei, the world of the throne. Right, which, is, and which, is, hum- which is that world of abstract, uh, right. un, un, if not unchangeable, but at least very constant um, where you go from like the Rambam's um, spurring and all Aristotelian philosophers going from the particular to the concept. And it's in the concept that one has a sense of eternality because that concept is something that will not die because it's going to, it's going to be the same way you have comprehended it in, in the year 2021. It's something that has a, a sense of eternality, right? Which is Kisei Kavod Mirom Mirishon Mukom Mikdasheno. I believe that is that is the Pasak. So the, the Kisei Kavod is one of the things that uh, that preceded the creation of the world, which means it's on it's ontologically it's it's a it's a whole other it's a whole other um, you know. But 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 I think we I, I think existence. we I think we need to um the fact that this was the vision, whether you know, all the uh, our ancestors at, at Yamsuf uh, had an aspect of this vision or essentially the same vision, the idea that we're talking about a, a chariot 
a Merkava, something that uh, is a vehicle, I, I think is also something that is that that's crucial to explain why you know the you know you, you could, the metaphor that you described. I, I'm sure if we uh, racked our brains uh, long enough, we could probably come up with another a symbol of that. The, the ultimately a Merkava is. Is, is about getting from one place to another, right? Uh, especially mm-hmm. in, in a in a quicker fashion, as we know, going back to Yamsuf, right? <laughs> they saw the Merkava, but they had just actually experienced <laughs> they had experienced the Merkava of the Mitzrim, right? The Merkava that they were that you know these little tiny Merkavot that right. that that the Mitzrim were chasing them with, uh, Susvera. So, and out of out of the out of the destruction of of uh, of of uh, Paro's Paro's Merkava arises the vision of Hashem's Merkava. It's a, you know it's, it's the same thing like out, you know out of the plagues but that befall the the Egyptians, Bnei Yisrael build their consciousness of of, uh, so, of so, so Hashem's what I'm attributes. To... I understand that. I'm not trying to interrupt you. I just wanted to understand. So, yeah. why would you say? And I'm sure people would say, you know, okay, is that what it is? Like the, you know, the, you know, the, the '63 Mustang. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, here's Yechezkel's image. Okay, so I understand it's symbolic. But why was the was the symbol? Like, did he have like a uh, a subscription to Car and Driver magazine? Like, why was that the Navua of a of a? You know, why was that the Navua of 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 a vehicle of transport? And and and, and I, so why don't you, uh, if you can, elaborate you wanna, you, on that? I'll tell you. There's there's two answers. First of all, it wasn't always perceived as a vehicle that's in motion. Okay, because um, when Yaakov had the same vision, his vision, he saw a ladder or a stairway, or somebody would might say, if they were archaeologically inclined, a ziggurat. It's more like a mountain, you know, um, that you can that you can climb and you know malachim coming up and down it. So that's a different that's a different version, but it's a version of the same idea that there is some kind of hierarchy that mediates between Hashem and reality. And I mean the the, mo- the most fundamental question that one might ask is why you know why well why do you need that maybe well, why don't we just go directly from Hashem to the reality Hashem created reality that's it I, you know there's no intermediaries Hashem doesn't need intermedi- intermediaries we don't need a merkava we don't need a ladder we don't need malachim we just have a direct uh, plug into to Hakadosh Baruch well, I mean when we say God is rochev haravot right so there's some there is some sort of sense and even if, even let's go back to what Rashi quotes um in 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 the beginning of parshas uh, in the middle of parshas right the the ovos are the merkava right. there's this idea of god moving and 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 you know, a sense of involvement a sense of a process that's what I'm saying. You know, what, what, you know, I, I, I mentioned in the beginning as I set up our introduction of Maisa Beratius, Maisa Merkava. Maisa Beratius, you know, implies this is how creation occurred. And it's fascinating. And Maisa Merkava implies the movement. Maisa Merkava implies a process that God is, is getting from place A to place B, whether it's God or the powers, the spheros, the, the shefa, humanity. This, in fact, what we, even your vart on that we, or the vart we shared together on the Haggadah is really an indicator of the Amerkava of something that has moved, right? There's, there's, right. there's something that has gone, whether it's in distance or in, in, in you know, theoretically, in, or philosophically, in an sense of an idea, from point A went to point B, and the reason why you use a chariot is because that is the most effective way to get from point A to point B. Right? You go by foot, you're not going to get there. Sometimes a ladder will get you if you, you know, because the Merkava, it's not like the DeLorean that's going to. Uh, uh, fold up and go fly in the sky, right? So you need to go right. There's, you're going straight. I remember. I, I I remember something from the from the Gro where the Gro said, um, and he was he was actually commenting to uh, to Yechezkel's, uh vision that the reason why it was a Merkava was because in actual fact the Shechina was moving, unless the presence of Hashem was moving from the base of Medrash, from the base of Migdash to to Bavel, 
or the Gilu Shechina of Mitzrayim was moving to the to the base of Migdash in, in Yerushalayim. So it could be. I, I first of all I agree with you that there is much something much deeper here um, with with why the Kisei Akavit should be perceived as a as a as a chariot. Okay, and I think I can actually say something meaningful about it, but we end up spending the whole time on that. So, um, well, I would I would just put you know put it aside as it's as a as a tzarich iyun. Um, <laughs> okay, but right. um, because well, the, because what where where I really want to get to is I mean after we've explained that there are worlds of of reality and of feeling and of thought. Okay, so then this kind of gives you an explanation as to why the Baal Shem Tov said. That wherever you're thinking, or put it this way, wherever your wherever your um, perceptual framework is located, okay, that's where you are. So if you're so if you're if you're if your mind is full of feeling and love and joy and and dancing and simcha and all this animation, you're in the you're in the you're in the world of the chayot. And if you're and if your mind is full of thoughts, you're you're in the world of of thinking, right? And um, Essentially, I do believe that all all philosophers have have accessed in some way one of those three levels. I mean, I, I would say, look, you know, scientists look primarily at at the at the, the ophanim, and artists primarily try to you know try to grasp the the highest, and philosophers primarily try to grasp the 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 realm of ideas. But these are these are all three, you know, elements that are to some extent available to human uh, to human experience and then you have to ask yourself okay so who's the who's the image of the person sitting in the sitting on the chair so here so here the mekubalim have an answer that the image is hashem's names and attributes not hakadosh baruch right which would which would be impossible but the expression of hashem's attributes and and names right and therefore there is a fourth world which we which we call olam ha'atzilut because the contents of olam ha'atzilut are emanated out of the ein sof and even as they emanate outward they're still intimately connected to the to the ein sof in such a way that what what we're trying to say and there's a you can you know you can pour out oceans of ink trying to you know trying trying to explain this one way or the other and oceans of ink have probably been spilled or very nearly oceans the idea would be that there is in the realm of atzilut no nothing really exists it's a it's a it's a a mode of of reality that is beyond being because it, and therefore since it's beyond being it does not need to be separate from hashem it can be one with hashem and it can also project outward and show us who Hashem is. So the best marshal that I can think of this would be would be let's say an actor, okay? Or actually, it could be any one of us. But it's but you know but it's a marshal, okay? The actor has within himself all sorts of characters, and they're real characters too, because when the actor expresses several of his characters or all of his characters or some of his characters in a particular way, he's not he's not showing you something other than himself. He's showing you himself in all sorts of ways that you can actually relate to this and and, and grasp it. But in the all in the end, all the characters are himself. Or if you want to say, let's take you know, let's take a look at you. Who you are within your inner self is impossible to describe. Right? But you're a father to your children. You're a husband uh, to your wife. Uh, you're a teacher to your students. And all of these things are you, but they're also they're separate enough that different people, different levels, different situations can can receive from you and can can you know can uh, become real and manifest themselves through you. On the other hand, they are all actually betelimumutalim. They're nullified to you also. There isn't anybody there isn't anybody there but but uh, but Reb, but Reb, Reb Ramel. That's 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 it. But you know, obviously, the Reb, the Reb of Ramel that uh, that I know as a friend is a different Reb of Ramel than your students know as a teacher, and certainly different than what your wife knows as a husband, and so forth and so on. Right? So, Olamatzilut is the figure that appears in the chair. It is also, at the same time, a reflection of the person who is looking. Right? Because 
you know, why should why should I see the figure in such a visage? Why should I why should I grasp it this way? Why well, I, I grasp it because because this is what it is for me. Okay, so so there's also a very strong underlying um, feeling that the way you see it is a reflection of who you are. And that in you know in the end, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is only showing you light and you know light and love. That's you know Chesed is only is the only real thing that's coming out of there. But not everybody can grasp the Chesed. So some people have to see it as the as as Gvur, or some people have to see it otherwise. In the end, Olam Chesed Yibone, you know. But everybody, there are people who can only grasp the Chesed if it's if it's causing them pain and they're running away. Right. So, so it's very beautiful, and I appreciate um, using me as the metaphor of Vatsivus. Let's say I know I know the only reason you're doing that is because you're looking at me through Zoom. So what else? Because that, if, that, that's because the, if I if I used myself, it would be a little arrogant. Would <laughs> no, I, I just figured because there's a large picture of me that's being projected into your apartment in Ashkelon. But let's just let me just uh, let's sum up here and 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 say that if someone is inspired or wants to take the time and effort to begin a mystical journey and to try to uh, understand and wrap their head around uh, ideas of Kabbalah, uh, would you suggest that they study Tanakh and to study specifically? Uh, Say for Yecheskel, is it something, or is it something they should sort of like uh, only refer to after they're in some other svarim? Would you say that learning, you know, I know, I know, we used to make fun of this when the art scroll of Yecheskel came out. There was running on every page, like the Surgeon General's warning on the cigarette uh, cartons. <laughs> this is not. This is not to be taken as the pshat. This is, we are only able to, trying to explain the simple meaning, but there is, like every single page was plastered with, you know, this is the most, this is like plutonium and holy and it can't be, you know, and, and whatever we say here is, but, but would you, but speaking from your perspective, would you say that's a good thing to do? To, to at least learn the Pshat, learn the Psukim, learn the, the Mitsudas Dovid and Mitsudas Tzion in order to sort of like wrap your head around that image so at least that's clear to you? Well, I, everybody should learn it simply because it's the Haftar for, for Shavuos. Uh, okay. Okay, I don't, I, don't think that, I don't think there's that much to be gained by, by darshaning it because uh, um, you know, that, that work has been done and you know, people. If you if you some, sometimes it's very very worthwhile to walk the path that the, of the people who who uh, who who received the message. You know, uh, but sometimes but sometimes I think I think it's it's going to take too much effort and you have no idea where it's going to lead. So I I'm kind of a traditional on the a traditionalist on this point. You know, my, you can once once you know more or less the, the structure of the thing and you know what the basic idea is. The basic idea is that there are four oilimas, okay? And and don't take the image of Hashem sitting in the chair literally because there is no image there. It's just the constellation of Hashem's attributes, and it's not a visual thing, right? Klal and 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 if you can, the the way to do it is if you if you must imagine something. Imagine Hashem's names, you know, because that because it's always it's always permissible for us al slimu to to look at a Kaddish Baruch Hu's names, and maybe play around with the letters, you know, like you can look at the, you can look at the yud kevavke and aleph dalid nun yud, and you can do yud aleph hey vav or yud aleph hey dalid vav nun hey yud, okay, and that's and if, but to look at anything more concrete than that. You know, to realize that there's a Shem Havaya that has a meaning, and and if you, once you get into the meaning of the Shem Havaya, it's an endless cosmic light which you can't which you, which you can't even contain. You know, and then there's a Shem Adnus, which is the same thing, and then you have a and then you have a Yichud between the Shem Adnus and 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 that figures in somewhere in that in that image that you're that uh, that the Nevi'im saw on top of the on top of the picture. The most important thing about the about the Olam Atzilut is that the way to access it is not through trying to understand what it is. It's through it's through 
self-nullification in its presence. Right? If you can, if you can, if you can take your body and imagine it is not existing. You can hold your hand up, and this is a meditation. Like you can hold your hand up, and you can take a look at your finger, and you can dematerialize your finger till since till there's nothing there. And at at that point, you're creating a chibur. You're creating a real relationship between your finger and kaviyachel, whatever it is that we would call a kadosh baruch Hu's finger, if we if we if we allowed ourselves that the uh, the the leeway to do that. Okay. And you can and you can de- dematerialize your whole body, and it's it's not such a hard thing to do. You know, there's a your there's a, a a right brain and a left brain. That's yud and k. Then you have a body which is vav, and then you have and then you have the 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 um the the letters hey all come out in your fingers and toes, and basically that's your whole body. Your whole body becomes a shem havaya, right? And when you when you can really neutralize yourself or, or take yourself out of the the nartikamitsiyut, the, the envelope of existing, and free up your being and free up your soul to, to, to something that is unlimited. So then you're already being madbik, you're already having dvekus between your physical self and the image and the in, in the image in the throne. But you have to be very careful to make yourself connected to that image through through his batlus, through self-nullification, not to project onto HaKadosh Baruch Hu and make him into something that looks like you. And, no. and the difference between those two approach, the difference of those two activities is, is, is incredible because one destroys everything and the other lifts up everything. I would just say okay, to, yeah. you know, if, if you know, it seems that, you know, whether we've uh, simplified things or, or, you know, up the ante is, I think, an open question. I think <laughs> we were attempting to simplify things. I'm not sure if we I got would, there. But what I would say just to to help along the process, um, you know, we, uh, you know, the the one of the nice little svarim about um, aphorisms, about studying this wisdom that we've dedicated our program to, uh, was written by um, the student of Rav Chaim Veloshna, the uh, author of the Keser Rosh. And uh, he quotes from his Rebbe, Rav Chaim, that where philosophy ends, that's where, mentioning our, our, our hero from last week, that's where Kabbalah's Haramak begins. And where Kabbalah's Haramak uh, ends, that's where Kabbalah's Ari begins. So I, I would say your sense of his batlus for many people is going to be difficult because of what they find steaming within them, their own individual passions. And although they could summon up a moment of, of realizing how insignificant they are and how everything is just the power of God, um, their, their self reasserts, their, their libido and other things reassert itself and they find themselves a difficult way again i mentioned last week about or two weeks ago i mentioned about living a life of kedusha that's sometimes difficult what i would suggest is that using even elemental philosophy slash medical slash scientific concepts can make yourself be not part of yourself in other words if you see and understand that we are all beings that are affected by a virus that can get into our system and that you as an individual Nelson Gluck Avram Kibovich whoever it is is in a sense an organism that ascribes to certain principles that all organisms have that's a a pretty a, a decent way i think from a philosophical standpoint to get to his batlus so you can use your understanding that yeah. you as an individual human being are really just like all human beings have been and will continue to be. And when you start seeing yourself as this biological entity and understand the principles behind that biological entity, that part of yourself will not be so paramount. And I think using the philosophical okay. eights of the Rambam, of going from the specific person you are to the to the uh, to the aspect of what human beings of close of what a human being is using i think for our friends what 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 all the corona scientists are telling us 
This is the way people react. This is what you are. You, you're not this great Talmud Chacham who has learned through Shas and Yerushalmi. You're a over 65-year-old man who who has these uh, weaknesses in your body. That that really can allow you, I think, uh, a bridge to his batlas. And that, I think, is, 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 is that philosophical. And I think we can all start there. By 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 stopping being so self-absorbed, realizing what we are essentially as as physical biological beings and the concept of what that is, and I think that could get us onto this this ladder. That's just what I'm throwing out here as a possibility yeah. for well, for for our novices to be able to jump in and not be yes. overwhelmed. Okay. Well, for 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 the novices, and I hope we're not. We're probably running out of time anyway. Yes. But there's a, I, this, this, this has to be said, okay? The contents of Olam Hatzilus are Hashem's midos and names. That's what there is over there. And, and, Hashem is, and the, Hashem's midos are one with him, but they are sufficiently distinct from one another in a very paradoxical way so that, we can, so that you have something to relate to, so that you can find yourself reflected in them. The, the the other worlds of which are called Bria Yitzira and Asiya, by the way, the, the worlds of the Galgali of the of the Ofanim and the Machayot and the Kisei, they have they have other names, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Those are worlds that are that have an a sense of being to them. And therefore there's some element of klipa in all of those worlds. Because you can either be Batel to Akadosh Baruch, you can be integrated with his oneness. Or you can be separated. So you can have ideas that are connected to Hashem. You can have ideas that are not. And there's still and there's still ideas. Okay, so so there's an element of klipat to all of these three worlds, and you have to avoid you have to avoid in a sense going there. You have to make sure that you're facing, since we're talking about Ofanim, that you're facing in the right direction. The primary derech of the Torah in order to have us reach the Vekus and his patlus to Akadash Baruch Hu, is through mitzvahs. Because mitzvahs are actions, and each action is a midah of Hashem. And when you involve yourself in an action that is bigger than yourself, that it has been done by thousands of people over, over the years, you do actually create a, a kind of vessel for yourself that is not in the realm of things. It's not in the realm of objects. It's not in the realm of being. An action is not a being. And generally, we always think that beings exist and actions are things that are done to beings or they're processes that beings undergo. And it's the other way around. It's the action which is the truth and the being is, is, is like a placeholder for the, for the action. And once you realize what it means to do a mitzvah, so then guess what? The mitzvahs are the, the, the evarim of the king. That's, that's of explicit lashon in, in the, in the, in the tikkunes. In Tikkunei Zoyer, which is quoted by the Balatanya, the mitzvahs are the Evari Hamalka, excuse me, Evarei Hamelech. So it, in the act of doing mitzvahs, we nullify our own will before our Kadosh Baruch Hu's will, and we get out of the limitations of being, and that can be both on the level of physicality and the level of, of uh, feeling and on the level of thought. And the wonderful thing about this is that if you were a philosopher, the only way that you can escape the, the horrible destiny of death is by cleaving to the intellect, because that's where eternity supposedly lives. According to Kabbalah, you can cleave to Hashem, you can cleave to, cleave to Olam Hatzilus, which is higher than any of the three worlds of being, but you can do that through being a regular Jew who puts on tefillin, who, who opens up a sefer and learns, who says Tehillim, person who gets out of bed in the morning, does Negel Vasar and walks to Shul. Though all of those things are Hashem's Midos and Shemos as they, as they devolve into the world of, into the world of Asiya. So the, the possibility of Devekus exists both for the body and the emotions and the intellect and the totality of the human being, which is why we believe in Tchiyas Amesim, Kitzer. Okay. We're not Rambamists that believe that the body is disposable, right? Somehow the body has to come back because the body has always been part of it. Well, well it, it definitely is a uh, a very satisfying and life affirming, you know, aspect as opposed to seeing things in this cold, sterile way. The importance of uh, that that almost um, 
eternal moment of every Misa mitzvah that you do. It's not just another action that that was done by this being that is going to die very soon, but it actually has a demiurgic, eternal uh, difference. And maybe that's something we, maybe we should leave uh, for a different yeah, program in we... terms of what the power of mitzvahs. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.